I'm John Hall. I'm Tom Hall. And this is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. Comedy writer, television showrunner, and fast food critic and enthusiast Bill Oakley is here. And I'm also going to explain why my brother is sitting in on this show in a moment. But first, this episode is brought to you through support from NZ Hops. In a little country far down in the Pacific, you'll find a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. This is NZ Hops. The industry originated in 1843, not long after the early settlers arrived from England. Years of partnership with a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations sees the current-day master growers proudly producing 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd. Season 8 of The Simpsons introduced us to Cecil Underdunk Terwilliger. He's the younger brother of Sideshow Bob. And our guest this week is Bill Oakley, who, among many other things that we'll tell you about, was the showrunner for that season, as well as season seven of the long-running animated series. And so it seemed only fitting to have my younger but taller brother on this show, especially since he's the one who first put Oakley on my radar. On his Instagram page, at that Bill Oakley, he chronicles the fast-paced, high-caloric, sometimes gimmicky, often tasty, modern Americana that is fast food. He regularly posts videos of himself sitting in his car outside of familiar spots like Popeye's, Burger King, McDonald's, KFC, and others, giving reviews of their latest offerings or discussing menu hacks sent in by viewers. Like so many of the great comedy writers of his generation, he went to Harvard, where he worked on the Harvard Lampoon. In 1992, he joined the staff of The Simpsons, where he wrote or contributed to many of the episodes that are considered golden classics to this day. He and his writing partner, Josh Weinstein, won three Emmy Awards for their work. They became showrunners and executive producers of the show for seasons seven and eight. You may remember those seasons for such episodes as The Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie Show, Radioactive Man, Homer's Enemy, and 22 short films about Springfield. After leaving the show, he and Weinstein created Mission Hill, an animated series that appeared on the then WB network. They also consulted on Futurama and many other projects. Oakley began writing and then became a co-executive producer for Portlandia, co-writing every episode on the third season. We're going to talk about comedy and writing, and we're going to try hard not to geek out too much, but this is a conversation about fast food and the intersection with beer. And there's actually a lot, aside from the bad decisions made after too many pints at the bar, that you can join together with beer and fast food. Oakley spoke to us from Portland, Oregon, where he lives. And I started out the only way I know how. Here's our conversation. I'm curious how long into a typical conversation does it take for someone to ask you about The Simpsons? Do they slow burn it or do they just kind of barrel into it like I'm doing right now? Uh, they, do the, they, do, they do that. What you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> they, do, they do that. They do, they, like, the thing about it is, yes, I thought this was... Now, first of all, let me say, The Simpsons, was, it was a pleasure to work on, and it will definitely, the fact that I wrote Steam, Steam Cams will be on my tombstone, no doubt about it. <laughs> However, that was five years ago. So I, I do, I always enjoy talking about other more recent endeavors as well. Yeah, no, and I want to talk about more recent endeavors, certainly. Um, you know, because I think there are... <sighs> There, I mean, there's so much that you've done since then, and it's funny that you brought up Stephen Ham so so early because 
obviously there's the fast food connection of your Instagram page and the work that you're doing there. Um, but I also read this oral history not too long ago, uh, where when you first wrote it, or you said when you first wrote it, like it was just sort of there and it didn't take off until like 20 years later. That's yes. Then and that's the case with a lot of that stuff is the, inter- the culture of, um, you know, internet memes really had a effect, a strong effect on those old episodes. Like I, I got to say at the time, people didn't, you'd never heard anything about it from the public. You know, the, the, uh, you'd broadcast, you write the episodes, you broadcast them, and then you'd never hear anything again. Because, um, you know, once in a while you'd get like, you could read all TV Simpsons if you had a Unix account and could log on to the pre, you know, prehistoric internet, but they hated every, they hated everything. So we, did, we got rid of our modem at the office <laughs> at that point. Um, but yeah, then we, you never, you just break it. You never had any idea what the lightning did like. Um, so you just kind of wrote it for yourself and maybe for your friends. And it only became, these episodes obviously got, you know, they ran over and over and over in syndication, burning themselves into people's brains. Yeah. And so they, you know, they had a life far beyond what originally the expectation was. And then this memes, and then the whole internet meme culture kind of resuscitated certain Simpsons aspects, like to a crazy degree, like seeing Cam's probably being the most you know, it was the meme of the year in 2018, according to the people who keep track of such things. And so now remember that this is, this was a thing that I had written and I never heard anything about it for about 18 years. And then all of a sudden it becomes a huge thing. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is interesting that you have um, what is now just an instant feedback machine in the Internet, right? Whether it's Instagram or, uh, you know, when you said that. Uh, everybody hated it, you know, on, on your Unix account, right? And you had to just, so you deleted it right away. That seems to be what Reddit is now, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I I do think that it's interesting um, that something like that, which seems so insignificant, just, you know, right, catches hold, whether it's in the moment or because of reruns or 20 years later because of internet culture. Um, what do you think it is about that uh, that, that caught people's attention? You know, I think that there's such a huge, I would say that there's such an avalanche of material, there's such an avalanche of content from every, everywhere. You know, there's a quadrillion TV channels with new TV shows, four or five new TV shows launching every day, mm-hmm. plus an infinite amount of material on YouTube and on Twitter. And literally every day there's an infinite amount of new entertainment material. And there's so little material that everybody knows. And I think that's the kind of thing, you know, that's a kind of thing that, that it brings people together in a weird way that that doesn't happen very much anymore you know it used to be that if 40 years ago everybody 50 billion people a week would watch mash right or whatever yeah. and, and that would be everybody be talking about it or all in the family now there's so there's so few things that people that most people know um and i'd say that like simpsons episodes particularly really memorable ones are, are among that so and it's fun for people to kind of get together online and reminisce about them and reminiscing these days also includes kind of remixing things, yeah. you know, and, and, and like the Simpsons shit posting universe is such an incredibly entertaining universe. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of content from there too. You know, people remix the stuff that they remember into new and interesting forms. And, um, you know, I love it. I think it's very entertaining. I always get a kick out of that as a Simpsons fan. Um, if there was any way for me to get any money out of it, I, that would be pretty, that would be sweet, but there's, you'd love it even more. Yes, right. It's all property of Disney anyway, so I don't care. I mean, whatever. <laughs> they got, I got plenty of lawyers. Um, 
what you just said earlier though of back then you were writing you were writing for yourself and you were writing for your friends how has comedy writing changed for you because you've been doing this for for most of your career uh, professionally and so if you're writing and and I'll just use steam hands since you brought it up first I just I just want to be very clear that you brought that up first sure um sure. uh would, do you think the writing process for something like that would be different today versus when you first wrote it because of internet culture and because of the way that comedy is you know, taken in, uh, consumed? I don't think so. I mean, the thing is that there's such a – I think everybody knows you can't write for the audience. And I've seen this repeatedly from Senate comedians, from anybody who does stuff – Anybody who does creative material, you kind of have to do it the way you want, because um, writing it for the writing it in a, for the audience usually ends up it comes out worse, and they don't like it anyway. Like that's the thing. Like it, you have to stick to your own you have to stick to your own sensibilities, and I think that that at least the most successful things do that. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that is written for a specific audience. That it, probably stuff for little kids mainly that succeeds beyond people's wildest dreams, but. Um, I think in general, people are looking for a specific point of view, uh, and that's what you got to stick to. I have to imagine that's uh, got to be the same thing that, that brewers feel, right? Is that a lot yeah. of brewers would are, are going to brew beer that they want to drink themselves as opposed to what's going to be popular. Um, and, and, you know, you have, of course, Bud Light and Miller Light that's brewed for the masses, right? Um, just like you have... McDonald's, right? That is cooked for the masses, right? But then you also have, uh, when, when you get into something really good and really tasty, it's usually uh, people creating what is essentially an art form, whether it's comedy writing or any kind of writing or whether it's brewing or whether it's cooking, all of that is are, are different types of art. And I think that there's certainly an intersection right there. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm going to agree with, with brewing as an art. It, and I'm going to defer to you, Bill, on all of this because you are you know, the, 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 the fast food critic that these times need, uh-huh. um, uh, is there an art to fast food? I don't know if I would consider, I mean, there's always a huge definition. There's a huge line between art and craft. Uh-huh. I'd say there's a craft, you know, I can never quite figure out where that line falls because people like, I know the def- the definition of art versus craft. I can't, I can never figure out where that line is. And people are always giving heaps of bullshit about that so i'll say that there's certainly a craft to creating fast food and if you're cooking anything like i actually you know even though i I am even though i'm nominally the gordon ramsay of fast food i also um (laughs) deal with i deal with tons of other type of food and uh you know and and liquor and beer and stuff on my instagram on my instagram story you know the videos i do are for fast food but my instagram story is all sorts like oyster like you know last weekend i did a 20 part thing on oysters that um, the, this oyster farm had sent me from Alaska, uh, and today I'm going to be posting a thing about Malort from Chicago. So have, have you we have, have you tasted it yet? I have tasted it, and I'm posting the video today. Is your Malort face? So your Malort face is captured on video? Yeah, I don't think that my Malort <laughs> face is going to impress anybody because I, it was not, it wasn't, it wasn't as outraged <laughs> or alarmed as I think most people's Malort faces are because I was really prepared for it to taste as bad as it, it did. I won't spoil the video, but it does, yeah. I mean, well, this is going to air terrible. afterwards, so uh, we'll... Okay, we'll, oh, okay, fine, You'll be fine. spoiling it for the two of us, but I think we can allow yeah, that. Yeah, you know, it tastes 
terrible, but like it's not. <laughs> it, it's not. Be, it's not. It didn't shock me. Like I think I have one thing that I haven't yet eaten that somebody sent me a year ago. Is this? Is this? Uh, this fermented fish from Sweden. It's supposed to be the the surströmming, which oh, is supposed yeah. to be the world's smelliest, most awful food. And like you can't open it. In, like they say, don't open it in your house. The smell will never go away. And you got to open it outside in a bucket of water. And like I still haven't done it because I'm I'm actually somewhat afraid. <laughs> Malort that Malort did not scare me. Um, the only thing that I really like, it, it tasted terrible, but like not beyond. Like I've had some other weird liquors that tastes bad. Yeah. Like this is the worst, no doubt about it. Because if it, it's basically what I my assessment is that it's, just, it's like five percent grapefruit flavor and ninety five percent liquefied fireplace ashes flavor. Oh, oh yeah. And so that is that was like that's my assessment of it. And furthermore. The worst thing about it is that it stays in your mouth for an hour, at least an hour. Oh yeah. The flavor, the flavor stays in your mouth, and that is weird. So anyway, that's a sidebar about my work. But no, but they, the, but but there's a cult following, you know, to that, and I mean, there there are devotees. I mean, I I've been in Chicago at bars where I've seen you know dudes with Malort tattoos. I mean, Malort merchandise I, is is out of control. I mean, to me, it, it it's always sort of tasted like you know rusty metal and depression like there there's yeah. no there's no real redeeming factor about it except like the shared experience that like everybody agrees that it's delightfully disgusting i think that it's a test of your macho-ness you know <laughs> that you can that you can that's probably why guys do that and get tattoos i think that like you know you're you're the kind of badass who likes terrible tastes <laughs> and, <laughs> and they don't they don't you know it's a questionable type of badassery but you know that's like, it, I think it, it show it's kind of like, I don't know, people who smoke cigars, you know, like I still can't get, I still can't figure out what cigars, why people like cigars. And it, I, I would imagine it's probably in the same universe of, of stuff. Anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it seems, I, I've never had Malort before, but I've always, in however long I've known about it, it seemed to me like it's a gimmick um, more than anything. Yeah. Um, yes. And I think that you, you see the same thing in fast food and all types of food, right? You, you have like the KFC double down, right? That's a gimmick. Um, whatever the... And, and beer. I mean, beer, this podcast oh, is about beer. It, so exactly. Well, no, no. And I was I was just going to say, what, uh, by, by benefit of being John's brother, I've had a lot of very good beers. I've also had a lot of other types of beers. And one of them that really stands out in my mind, John, I don't know if you remember this, was a beer. I think the brewery was opened in an old... Um, slaughterhouse and the beer was brewed with cow hearts no that was sam adams that was sam adams yeah. oh well so sam adams with uh chef david burke and this is maybe about a decade ago did a beer called burke in a bottle that was brewed with grilled beef hearts and rosemary it it uh it tastes just as good as it sounds so so no, so the aroma off of it was actually if you've ever walked into a good butcher shop like where they do the work themselves uh mm-hmm. and you have that metallic bloody tinny aroma yeah. in the air that's what this beer smelled like and it tasted think, like i'm sorry go ahead there's, there's there's so many i mean i'm sure your listeners are very familiar with the world of weird novelty beers and i get sent i would say there's always at least once a month, there's some sort of Simpsons-related one that people send me photos of. Um, and the, those are the I ones people, that people don't understand that Disney has lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I mean, I 
remember it tasting that beer specifically tasting like uh, and yes maybe it smelled like a good butcher shop it tasted like uh you know you opened up one of those styrofoam packages of ground beef and just poured the the drippings into oh yeah no a, it wasn't <laughs> to a glass of beer. it's not what you would expect from sam adams but what so what are some of the weird ones that have come your way bill you know, I can't. Gosh, I wish I could remember. There, there I wish there's there was a couple of different Simpsons flavored since, and they were basically based on things from the Simpsons, which I can't remember at the moment. That uh, the the I've gotten a lot of weird beers mailed to me, and I would say the one that I most recently had that I enjoyed was the cinnamon the cinnamon toast crunch beer, which sounded weird, but like was really good, and like it had some. Um, it just had elements of, of kind of, of vanilla and sweetness and cinnamon that I did not expect that I would like in beer, but I did. And I will also hold on one second. And I'll tell you the best weird beer I've ever had was just recently sent to me. And it's a pineapple flavored beer that was, um, I have it here on my phone, but well, let's keep talking. And I'll look okay. for it in the meantime. By the way, when you said cinnamon toast crunch, Tom and I locked eyes and we're trying to figure out who was going to make the shrimp tail joke first. <laughs> I- <laughs> I, d- I deferred. <laughs> yeah, we both we both decided not to, but I have to tell you, it's incredibly weird doing this show with my brother this week. Uh, one, because I think we both sound similar on the radio, but two, we're stepping on each other with the with the with the exact same questions. Can, can we talk? Oh, I found it. Here yeah. you go. Here you go. So this guy, uh, Mike Alvarez, sent me this. Uh, it's the pineapple cart beer from Golden Road Brewing. Sure. Yeah, that's an uh, AB. Pineapple. Yeah. Pineapple wheat ale with blood orange and strawberry, a series inspired inspired by the iconic fruit cart vendors of Los Angeles. I will say that I can say unequivocally that was the best weird beer I've ever had in my life. And I would actually that's one of the few that I would actually go out and try to seek out and purchase. I'm, I'm going to say right now, uh, because a lot of the listeners are, are, are going to start sending me hate mail because that's an Anheuser-Busch owned brewery, which I don't have a problem with. Oh, is with. it? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Golden Road. It doesn't, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. Ownership doesn't matter. But like, but I imagine now that there's going to be brewers listening to this who want to one-up that. So I will say, send me an email and I will you know, get you in touch with, with Bill so that you, you're going to be a wash <laughs> in just like batshit crazy beers uh, over I the next like, couple you know, weeks. This is this is the interesting line, and I want to. Uh, this has become a, a thing in my fast food uh, journey. Is that like I don't really like food that is just that is intentionally bad, that is intentionally horrible. <laughs> you know that like where the where the point is. This is so shot like the beef the beef heart thing sounds like it's gross. Right. Yeah. Like, I like I like I don't like stunt food. I, I, right. I, I'm totally fine with novelty food, but like you know, Instagram is loaded with people putting up photos of these burgers with 15 patties. And yeah. I'm like, who the fuck wants to eat a burger like that? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't mind a burger that, that that's big, but I don't want a grotesque monstrosity to this that is just there for publicity. And that's to say, I think that's the thing that, and that's honestly probably what Malort is too. It's a novelty item that, that people have embraced, but it does, it's, you know, nobody drinks it for pleasure. It's the I, same thing I, I disagree. Say, have you been to dive bars in Chicago? I, I, well, I think okay. <laughs> I have not. You know what? That's probably true. There probably are some people who would drink it for pleasure, but it's a perverse pleasure. <laughs> right. I yeah. Say. Uh, pleasure nonetheless. Yeah. For, hot, for hot sauces. You know, there's a limit beyond which the hot sauce starts to damage my enjoyment of the food. Yeah, that, yeah, that, I, that that was what I was going to go to is is the spice thing. It seems like there's almost a competition. You know, there's there's these places where you have to sign a waiver, right? If you order the hottest chicken wings uh, on the menu or something like that. That's a, right. What's the point in that? I mean, 
it, well, it's just to show, it's just to get photos and show off for your friends or whatever. Like, I would say that's fine. And I have, you know, I have Carolina Reaper sauce that you can only have one drop of. And it's, but I wouldn't put it on any food. I mean, it would totally, the meal would be ruined. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you mentioned your fast food journey, which yeah. makes it sound very <laughs> romantic. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's stupid. It's a stupid phrase, but it, but it works. <laughs> so where did this fascination begin? Is this just part of American life these days, and you're just capturing it, or was there was oh, there some? Yeah, I think this is. It's no, I am a genuine fast food enthusiast, and this is not some. It's not like I'm like a guy who normally ate it, who ate salads, and is doing this like was slumming by doing this. <laughs> I have been eating this stuff. I've wanted to eat this stuff my whole life, and it was because I was so so radically deprived of it as a child, because when I grew up. We, we were in the first of all, this is when I grew up, McDonald's was advertising to kids constantly. Yeah. Right. And it was on TV and the nearest one was 60 miles away because we lived in the country. And so I'd get to go maybe once a year for my birthday. Oh, wow. Uh, my parents would take me. And so I always wanted fast food and I never lived near. I never lived until probably I was 30 to any conveniently located fast food. And so I never really got to have very much of it. And I really like it. And so I was always with the type of person who like when McDonald's would introduce a new burger i would rush out to try it um and basically what happened is i just kind of i had a lot of opinions about it um i shared them with people i shared them on twitter and then one day i was like rather than typing up a prose tweet about my opinions why don't i just film a video and that's kind of where this whole thing took off it's fast food americana oh yes absolutely uh it's the ultimate american like the, and, and particularly the hamburger like is the ultimate the cheeseburger is the ultimate American item all over the world. It's whether it, it's a symbol of both what people like and what people hate about America, um, and so is fast food to, yeah. to some extent. Like, and this, I'm taking this all from Adam Chandler's book. If you guys, anybody who's interested in the history of fast food, needs to read this book, Drive Through Dreams by oh, Adam yeah. Chandler. It's, it's a terrific book, and and I'm just I'm basically just paraphrasing his conclusions. But yeah, it's the ultimate American thing, and it wasn't. It was all invented by guys mainly veterans after World War II. Uh, most of these guys had high school educations or less, like, uh, you know, uh, Dave Thomas didn't finish middle, middle, middle school. And it was guys, you know, who could determine their own path yeah. by creating these, these hamburger stands, which took off. And these guys, like, you know, Ray Kroc and Carl Karcher and Dave Thomas, Glenn Bell, all these guys had actually kind of similar backgrounds. And they invented this, this universe that we now have fast food. Now, fast food has a ton of problems these days, too, with labor issues and food purity issues and environmental issues. But, you know, that I don't cover that necessarily on my Instagram. That's more for Twitter. Okay. My Instagram is just whether the food is <laughs> whether the food is good or not is kind of what I what I generally <laughs> get to the point of. And I'll remind everybody that on Instagram, you are at that Bill Oakley. Right. Um, and so you mentioned you, you grew up in the country. Um, you, you're from Maryland. Is that right? Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, what what was your early uh, what was your early beer history like? Uh, I mean, obviously, maybe not as a kid, but, um, you know, what kind of beer was in the fridge? Uh, what was your first early exposure to beer? Uh, I remember that my dad. I can, you know, I can never remember whether it was Budweiser or Pabst Blue Ribbon because of the colors of the can. But I definitely remember that my dad had that around and occasionally would let me have a sip. Um, and 
then, but I didn't really like, I mean, I wouldn't say that he was a, a huge beer drinker, but he definitely would have a beer with, uh, you know, with dinner or something, or especially if we had something like fried chicken or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, that was my, my, and then I kind of, then a lot of it just kind of, it was in high school, you know? And like, I would say, here's right. the thing about my, my beer. I am not really a beer. <laughs> I'm not really a beer gourmet. You know, my tastes are extremely pedestrian in terms of beer. And I think that, uh, and I don't want to alienate your listenership. No, I would say believe that, you me, know, like, you're giving our listenership too much credit. It's like four guys. <laughs> okay. 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 Good. Well then I'll tell you that my tastes tend to run, you know, look, I have, I drink a lot of beer and, and, uh, I probably drink an unhealthy amount of beer and it's generally, <laughs> you're in good company, yeah, Bill. Don't worry. Show. Okay, yeah. good, good. It's generally, uh, Pilsners and lagers. And it's generally the whatever is on whatever is cheap. So for me, and, and I do, I really like PBR, um, PBR and Rainier, Rainier, which we have in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, I generally get those. Which I also is made by the Budweiser. same company, but yeah, okay. Um, I don't drink light beer because if I drink some beer, I want to get a buzz. <laughs> I don't right. want to. I don't want light beer. It has less alcohol. And um, I know that's an unhealthy way to think as well, but that's the way I think. It. And, no, that's fine. Now I also like. Um, Freem, my, my favorite beer, actually, to be honest, is Freem, which I don't know if you guys have ever tried. Yeah, no. P-F-R-E-I-M, yeah. which comes from Hood River. Yeah, Freem Family Breweries is, uh, is it's, it, they're wonderful people. Yeah. I, I freaking love their pills and their beer. However, it's three times the cost of Budweiser yeah. or whatever. So I only get it when I'm really feeling, um, really feeling like uh, wealthy. Have, have you been um, drinking any of the Heater Allen stuff? No, I don't even know what that is. Oh, Heater Allen is is one of the great breweries of Oregon right now, and they make only lagers, and they're just delightful and wonderful. Maybe I've seen it. Hold on. What's it called? Heater, Heater Allen. Heater? Yeah. H-E-A-T-E-R-A-L-L-E-N. How could I never even have seen this? I, I'm, I, I'd be surprised if you haven't. But um, And then Wayfinder's doing some great lagers as well. It, 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 I'm always sort of amazed by Oregon. Because the way I've never that seen, I mean, I must have seen this. I've googled it right now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm shocked. I don't think I've seen this beer, okay. and maybe they just don't stock it at the grocery stores I go to. All right. Well, Lisa um, Allen's a good friend, so I I, I almost sent you. Just some. pretend, Bill. Just pretend. Yeah. <laughs> I I almost sent you some uh, because I had some some in the fridge here, but I sent you some. I sent you a box of beer that's going to arrive uh, in a couple of days. But uh, I sent you East Coast stuff because I was like, well, why am I going to send Bill, you know, Heater Allen when he can just walk down the store uh, down the street and get it get it fresh? So now. You should walk down the street and get it fresh. But I'm always sort of amazed by Oregon because the way that I view it here in Jersey is this sort of, you know, utopia of enlightenment, of, you know, local everything. And once you live in Portland, you know, nobody is actually from Portland. Everybody comes from someplace else kind of thing. But it's all, you know, local. And there's 500 breweries within, you know, a, a minute or a minute and a half of your house. Like, there, there's so much local options. And when I hear you and I have friends who live there who are talking about, you know, drinking PBR and going to McDonald's, I'm like, I expect that from Route 1 off of Jersey, but like not in Portland. Um, uh, you know, I'm sort of a Philistine. Uh, let me say that I, first of all, <laughs> for, I, I'm not. I am a Philistine to some, in some ways. However, I like I do. Like I always look. I would get Freem 
if I was super wealthy all the time instead of PBR. <laughs> but, uh, you know, PBR is enjoyable and, and I can have it, you know, I can sip it over the course of the evening while I eat a thousand pretzels. Yeah. You know, it's not like, it's not like an event. Like a lot of this beer is an event of drinking beer. Like you can drink one or two and that's it, like a porter or whatever. Like that's not my right. yeah. thing. I like to have several beers <laughs> in, in a sitting. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things. But also in terms of the food, I should say, I even though I review fast food, I don't like it, I don't go there every meal. Most of the meals I have out are local places, are food carts and things like that. Often, and I do often put them on Instagram. Right. We have even the best fast food burger. We have fifty local burgers that are better than the best fast food burger here. And oh, generally, yeah. the food, as you said, it is a utopia of stuff like that. And I do like, and I do try to promote it at every opportunity. Uh, in in talking, just to, to jump back a little bit, we were talking a little bit how fat you, you were saying fast food is very much Americana. Maybe the, the cheeseburger is the most iconic thing. I think beer, to a degree, obviously beer has its origins, uh, you know, dating back thousands of years. But, um, you know, you think of like a can of Budweiser, right? I feel like that is also very much Americana. And it seems like beer is a useful tool especially when you're writing for a show like The Simpsons, right? You think of Duff Beer for right. being able to relate to the everyman. And I, I'm just interested in, in kind of what your thoughts are on how you can use beer in writing to tell a story or to, to help flesh out a character, right? Homer Simpson is not Homer Simpson without Duff. Right. I think that's, I mean, as you said, Beer is not exclusively American, and I think you'd alarm the crap out of people from Germany or Austria. Right, uh, of course, of course, right. <laughs> if you said right. that, like, you know, that beer, a certain type of beer, which they consider to be swill, as we had this incident that they consider our beer to be swill, that, you know, that only a swine would drink this beer. <laughs> That's what, uh, American beer is this, is a, a unique type of thing, which is canned beer, generally with a red, white, and blue or something like that on the can. Yeah. That is that is the every man's drink. And there's I think there's probably two ways that you could go in comedy running with beer. One is the way that was depicted on both The Simpsons and King of the Hill, which is a can of beer, a particular brand that is prob that you know, that guys drink in their in their back alley or while they're watching T V and zoning out, you know? And or probably Archie Bunker, I imagine, probably in All in the Family had a beer like that too. Right. Um, then there's the other way that you would go, which would be in a more Portlandia sense which would be the beer snob type person, <laughs> right. you know, who is, you know, the hipster beer snob. Um, and that's probably, I mean, that's a much more rarefied caricature, but that's probably the only, I would say the two most likely stereotypes, comedy stereotypes of beer drinkers. More with Bill in a moment, but first a word of thanks to this episode's sponsor. And I hope you'll give them a closer look. NZ Hops is a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ Hops are like no other, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And now, back to the conversation with Bill Oakley. So, in The Simpsons, though, at least, Duff became a character and i don't mean duff man but i just mean like duff the brewery yeah, the, the, it's, brewery, the brand yeah. is, is such an integral part of the show and it is such such, such a character and one of the, the the things that i've been largely frustrated about as somebody who's been covering the beer industry for a long time is the way that beer is treated by and large by most television shows or and or movies 
and I think the Simpson gets it right. Um, you know, where there is this, you walk the fine line between funny and abuse sometimes, um, you know, where you don't want to go too over, over the top, but like you also don't hide the effects of drinking too many beers. Right. Just flat out address it sometimes. Yeah. But there's been some other shows. There's a show on Netflix, and I, I'm not asking you to comment on somebody else's art um, or lack thereof. But there's a show on Netflix that came out a couple of months ago called Brews Brothers, where it was two brothers who owned a brewery. Um, and it was just filled with, you know, gutter humor or sex humor, or it was just going for sort of the low hanging fruit. And I, I, I felt like there's a missed opportunity there to not necessarily elevate beer. But to treat it with the place in life that it actually is, you know, which is not always just, you know, silly jokes, you know. I, I, so when, when you're writing about beer and you've done this on a couple of different shows, like where do you start with a beer joke? Generally, it has to come from the character. I mean, you know, that if you're depicting your blue collar average American Homer Simpson type, then he's going to be drinking beer. I mean, I think that it, you don't start to write a beer joke. The beer is the, is the affectation or the habit of the, of a character. And, and also, you know, as in, in, in most writing, you don't have it. You don't have beer there unless it's for a reason, you know, it's supposed to, it's just like having a character smoke cigarettes versus not doing that. Like it's yeah. a character choice that gives the character a distinct, gives people a distinct perception of the character. Um, so like in general, if it's, if a guy is drinking a mug of beer, there's a reason for it, you dramatically, or, or, or something you want to reveal about the character, you know, like you don't like on the X-Files, you wouldn't have Scully and, and Mulder at a bar drinking beers because people would be like, why are they drinking? Like <laughs> right, it would yeah. raise issues, you know, right. they would raise issues. And like that's in general, there's gotta be a dramatic point to it. And, and furthermore, having a person choose beer versus choosing some sort of cocktail is also a character choice. Yeah. Or wine, which, know, which always seems to have this sort of larger air of sophistication or it's the housewife trope. Exactly. I mean, think about it. Like think about, think about Mad Men, Don Draper and, and him drinking in Manhattan, very clear choice. It gives him, puts him in a certain era as a certain type of person. When he drinks beer, which he occasionally does, it's like at a picnic or something like that. Um, or, but you know, I don't think you ever see him drink wine unless it was probably maybe at some fancy event where steak was served or something like that. So every time you choose a certain type of alcohol and you show a character drinking it, it is for a reason. You, uh, you mentioned earlier, Bill, that, uh, you enjoy some cocktails, uh, right. Not, not just beer. What, what, what's your favorite cocktail? What's your drink of choice these days? You know, actually, I have to say that now it is the old fashioned, and I only started having them two months ago. Um, I'm in, in a I'm in a good position where um, this uh, high time uh, high time liquors in Orange County, California, and a woman named Veronica Castro have been uh, sending me uh, various liquors throughout the past couple of years to put on my Instagram and to sample. And I never, I don't think I ever had an old fashioned until about two or three months ago. Uh, when they sent me like a little cocktail book and, and the stuff to make an old fashioned. And I have to say, I really like it. Um, particularly these, there's the Lizano uh, cher wait, cherries, these incredible cherries oh, yeah. from Italy. Oh, yeah. That I'd never Luxardo. Had. I, Luxardo. Yes. Not Lizano. That's salsa Lizano from Costa Rica. <laughs> uh, Luxardo cherries are 
unbelievable. I've never tasted such a thing. And I, I can't believe that, you know, in my all the years I've lived, I've never been exposed to that type of cherry. But in any case, putting one of those in an old fashioned and uh, so forth is delicious. Also, Sazerac, which is a sort of similar uh, yeah. type of thing, uh, is another cocktail that I have recently come to like. Um, a New Orleans generally, though, I probably Yeah. Yes. Generally, though, I mean, I, I often will just go with a vodka martini on the rocks. But I find that um, recently I prefer things that have that are made with rye because they have a little bit more flavor. Yeah, a little spiciness to it, uh, a little bit more yeah. depth. Um, I, I, I dig that. Um, can, I, I, you've been chronicling on your Instagram page at that Bill Oakley uh, the rise or what is what is probably turning into the great chicken sandwich war. I don't know if it's a battle or a war or just a skirmish right now. Um, right. But everybody is, is is trying to perfect a chicken sandwich. Why? <laughs> I, I, could go, I, could, I could use the entirety of your podcast to explain this, but cool. I will give you the, yeah. the, the, the – it's not going to be that interesting. I'll tell you, um, the chicken sandwich wars are basically over. Okay, the only place that has yet to weigh in is Burger King, and my suspicion is that there's they're not going to bring it. They just they never, rarely do. And is they that have, because the Burger King's one. terrible? <sighs> yes, to be honest, <laughs> to be blunt about it, they they I, they I still let me say I still like the Whopper with cheese. Still one of my favorite fast food items. Everything else crummy. They haven't bothered to update their menu in thirty years. I I, um, re- I remember John Stewart used to fight against Arby's when he was hosting the Daily Show. That was. Such, that was so misplaced. Arby's is so good. <laughs> Arby's is so good. I can't. It's a, look. I don't. I can go on for hours about this topic. The Arby's is so good. He just likes. He did it because Arb is a funny sound. Yep, right. Right. <laughs> you know, you would never do it if Burger King. You'd be like, Burger King is far worse than Arby's, but it doesn't. It's not funny. It's not funny to say to say Burger King. It's funny to say Arby's because the Arb is a funny sound. <laughs> Arb, Arby's sustained me when I was a young reporter at the Indianapolis Star in like 2003. Arby's was the only place that was open when I was working the midnight cop shift. So like, I have a soft spot for Arby's in there. Yeah. But Burger King though was the place oh, that wait. our school uh, when Tom and I were growing up. Up, uh, would host a local fundraiser for the uh, you know for the Catholic school that we went to, and so once a month you had to go to Burger King to put the receipt in there in the in the box, and then they would donate five percent of what everybody spent like back to the school kind of thing. And uh-huh. every month where we had to go, it was just awful. Like I just like to this day. Like I'll drive past a rest stop if there's a Burger King in it, even if I'm, you know, if I'm starving and I have to take a leak, I, I just I'm gonna keep going, because anything's better. Uh, I can I I agree with you except for the, with the sole exception of the Whopper with cheese and even the Impossible Whopper if you're a, a vegetarian, also very good. Everything else not worth the effort. Oh, so uh, but, but look, this is this I'm sorry, Bill. This is a major bone of contention here because I <laughs> and I think uh, your friends the Doughboys would also disagree. They've proclaimed that Burger King is back, and I I uh, yeah, Burger King is back, baby. From where? Uh, well, look, what have they What have they done to be back? Uh, they haven't done anything. They've upped their game. That's <laughs> no. <laughs> well, um, I'm gonna maybe the Doughboys will invite me on, and maybe it's also I want to say it is it is possible. The ones in Portland are just far worse than every other and, one. And I think um, that, that is are, a, that's a huge problem with the chains, that there are 
a lot there you can there's good burger kings and there are bad burger kings and obviously when you're talking about something like fast food you want consistency throughout the country in a national chain like that and right. you don't get right. that at burger king but find a good burger king and maybe i will maybe yeah. i'll go on and, and bill when you go when you go on when away. you go on their show i'll come on and i'll back you up on <laughs> just tom reminded me right before we went on the air that burger king Used for it was a Star Wars promotion where they made a black bun. Yeah, I don't know if it was a Star Wars or yeah. what. Right, they had a Whopper with a black bun, right, like a squid ink type thing. They do this. That's the thing. That, one of the things that's so <laughs> annoying about them. Every every two two months, there's some new burger. Hey, Burger King is introducing this green burger for Halloween, and then you read this stuff, and, it, and then you read the, the article, and it says this article, this burger will be available at 12 locations in the entire country, and it will be available for one day. Yet it's gotten all this press, and it's like, fuck you. <laughs> this article, you know, if, if you're going to, you, you know, you can't, it's so annoying because there's such a, there's an endless need for content in terms of all these food things. And so when Burger King introduces their green burger and selling it at 12 locations, that didn't take much effort. Yeah. Right. You know, like that, that's, that's not, they're not even introducing it. It's a publicity stunt, pure and simple. And, and it worked, you know? So anyway, so why are the chicken that, wars over? Let's get back to why is the chicken okay. sandwich war over? Because the, 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 the final shot was fired by McDonald's, which is the biggest, which is, you know, the biggest player in this whole game. But I'll tell you where it ranked. Like, here's the thing, the chicken sandwich, this is where it all began. And, and this came from talking to Mike Harris, who used to be the head chef for McDonald's. It was everybody's, it was Chick-fil-A, the massive expansion and success of Chick-fil-A um, all over the country. Chick-fil-A was a regional player that was, that people loved. And then it started expanding everywhere and it, it, it people love it. And so it was everyone's desire to get in, get on, the, on that train. And then there was the slight, on the road when Popeye's decided to get on the train yeah. and created this magnificent chicken sandwich that, that everybody in the country went bananas for, you know, and that was like two years ago now. And yeah. like people were waiting in line for nine hours and there were like fights and shootings and stuff. <laughs> and like it was, it got a lot of publicity. It got a lot of publicity and it justifiably so because it's the best. It's absolutely terrific. It's very, very Pop, good. Popeye's sandwich. And I've never had and it. It's yeah. delicious. It's, it's, it's rare. You know, it was a game changer to the extent that something like chicken McNuggets were, where it's just like, this is a defining moment in the history of fast food. So, so two different, two different heavy players, Chick-fil-A and Popeye's. Everybody else had to play catch up on this game. KFC tried, came out with a pretty mediocre version. A number of other places like churches, other places did it like that. Then McDonald's introduced theirs last month. And there's, it is the best chicken sandwich ever served at McDonald's. Um, a, a somewhat of an improvement over the southern style chicken sandwich that was they served about 12 years ago. Um, but it tastes pretty much I- identical to Chick-fil-A, um, which is saying something because Chick-fil-A is really good. Yeah. So um, I would say, however, Popeye's, they're never going to be Popeye's. I mean, there's just, Popeye's is unbeatable in, in this category. However, McDonald's is 85% as good as Popeye's, tied with Chick-fil-A for second. Then after you know, then you go down into the other players, uh, you know, like KFC and so forth. Uh, and I were and, and the final entry and the ch- the final combatant in the war will be Burger King when they introduce this hand breaded chicken sandwich. I'd say my expectations are low given their history. Hand breaded too. That's what I mean, they say. I mean, that's I mean, that's like that's such a beer term as well, like handcrafted. It's like I don't want your hands on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> the mechanical hands. Yeah, um, it, Bill, do you think? Uh, one one thing I was thinking about was, um, you know, obviously fast food and, and 
drinking go hand in hand in the sense of, uh, you know, you have too many Pabst Blue Ribbons and nothing quite cures a hangover the next day, like a quarter pounder with cheese. Right. Um, mm. but they don't, no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but, uh, I don't think there's really any fast food place that I know of. There may be a few Taco Bells that serve alcohol as more of a gimmick thing, getting back to that. But um, there's really not any kind of proliferation of where, you know, a place where you can go and get a beer and uh, a fast food burger. Right. Obviously, in this country. right. Yeah. At least in this country. Yeah. Why, why do right, you think right. that is? Uh, I just imagine that there's so many problems with liquor well first of all you can't uh, yeah there's i i my guess is you can't have them at a drive you can't serve liquor right. at a drive through <laughs> that's a very good point you can't um and you can't and the places often are or at least up recently we're targeting an audience of families and kids so so that also doesn't go like here like the perfect cautionary tale of a place that served beer that was also for kids and families was chuck e cheese right and <laughs> and chuck e cheese had so many fights if you it's like it's Chuck E. Cheese is bankrupt and gone now like, due to the pandemic mainly. But like you would always prior to that, you'd always read about fights breaking out at Chuck E. Cheese, which is scary. Yeah. You know, that's scary. And and it was because people were drinking beer <laughs> in this atmosphere and sitting there waiting for their kids to be done and getting drunk. And then fights would break out. And like that's a perfect example of why it's probably not good to serve beer at a place you know, where there's going to be lots of families and kids. I don't think that's another reason I imagine. I don't think either of us ever had a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, but we, we went to a lot of them. Yeah. I, I had one, my fifth birthday was at a Chuck E. Cheese and I just really remember being very creeped out by the animatronic, uh, band. Yeah. (laughs) And, and even at five being pretty underwhelmed by the pizza. There, there was a story, uh, that came out at the early part of the pandemic where the Chuck E. Cheese changed its name. Yes. Yeah, yes, uh, for Grubhub. Became a pizza place. Yeah, and was trying to sell people. Oh, I didn't hear this. Yeah, frozen pizza. It was in the Philly area. It was like Pasquale D. Rat or something, and it was <laughs> they were trying to sell their pizzas through. Pizza. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, then they were, and I mean, it was a noble. I would say I don't think it was just in Philly. I think it was all over the country. Okay, and it was a, it was a noble effort to 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 try to rescue this dying. Yeah. franchise which now is gone i mean long, it, sadly it, it, sadly yes but like also when you think about a chuck e cheese pre-pandemic the idea of going to one post-pandemic is just like my skin yeah. kind of crawls a little bit yeah, yeah. and uh, all those buffet places are in trouble like, like those hometown buffet places and things like that are like right they're all going to be have a hard time recovering from this are there speaking of places closing are there fast food chains that you've come across in the past that you wish had taken off in a larger way that just never did? There are some, yes. Uh, um, there, there, there's this one, I'll tell you specifically, there's this one called Noggles, which you guys probably never heard of. No. Um, do you have, you've probably heard of Del Taco? Yeah. It's a West Coast. Okay. Right. Well, well, right. One of the guys, Del Taco is really good. One of the guys who, who was instrumental in founding Del Taco was this guy named Dick Noggle, and I think he, he spun off uh, his own taco chain. Is that a real um, name? Is, yeah, N-A-U-G. <laughs> Dick a, Noggle? Uh, Come on. His, I know. <laughs> Come it's on. His, it is his real name. And it, it like it basically had a, sort of a, sim- a similar menu to Del Taco, but with much like fresher, higher quality ingredients. And it was a terrific. It was a big deal in, the, in California in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I, had, I only had it once. Uh, and it was amazing. And so it was, it was defunct. 
And then, but now it's just recently been brought back. And people who live in Orange County, they have two locations, which, and I've gotten a couple of reports that they're terrific. So that's one, and I'm, I'm very eager to go there. Um, as far as other chains that are out of business, you know, I don't really miss them that much, like Burger Chef and Red Barn. They were all kind of middle of the road places, but more like for nostalgia value. Uh, there, there's so many chains that I that are current that I'm dying to go to that I have never been to because we don't have them around here, like Portillos and Culvers and Brahms and Whataburger. Uh, sure. You know, just to name a few. And Culvers Zaxby's, is great. That's a, that's more of like Wisconsin, right? Yeah, Midwest yeah. And, and and Wisconsin specifically, but like. The Doughboys have said that that's the best fast food in existence. Right. Yeah. And I, I've heard that. I've just heard nothing but raves about it from everybody, and I'm dying to go there. Tom and I were talking about beforehand. There's a chain out here called Roy Rogers. We. I grew up with Roy Rogers. Yeah. It's the we have only, that in, in DC. Yeah. But there's the, only one left, right? There's like two or three. There's a handful. Uh, most of them on uh, in rest stops along the uh, the turnpike, but. Um, it's the only place where you can get uh, a holster of French fries, which I think is just a fantastic thing with, with uh, two little slots in it. So you can literally put it on your belt like it's <laughs> like it's a holster and any curly that, fries out of it. It's fantastic. That chain was a really big deal in the in like the 80s, 70s. Oh, 80s. yeah. And as it was the only one that I ever got to go to, like uh, because I could walk there, I could walk there and it was about a 40 minute walk. But I did go there, and it probably I had that more than any other fast food up until the time I went to college. Oh, that's great! Is so Tom was asking just about you know what goes well beer wise. Um, I'm I'm often thinking about like the next morning and the frustration of fast food breakfast. Is there runway there? Is there white space? for somebody to really conquer breakfast in the fast food space, or should we all just be going to diners? I, don't, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of fast food breakfast items that are, I don't get them very often because I generally do not eat breakfast or whatever, you know, cause I don't like. Uh, well, sure. I, all those like, PBRs you're waking up uh, after they stop <laughs> serving the egg. McCormick. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I, 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 but I like, I have had, I think fast food breakfast is in good shape. Like, like people tell me I, again, I don't eat at Burger King very much, but people tell me that the breakfast at Burger King at the croissant, which is still very good. Um, there's this, uh, the, all the Taco Bell breakfast items. I like, like the breakfast burritos are good. And this Carl's jr. Has a breakfast burger, which like is, is really questionably a breakfast item. But I mean, like it, it, it's super good. If you like that, if you want to have a nice heavy burger, breakfast burger type experience at one Carl's jr. Is excellent. Yeah, uh, Wendy's I think does a nice uh, nice job. They just recently entered the uh, oh yeah the breakfast right. arena. They, I I think they do a great job. That breakfast baconator is top notch. All right, I'll stand that, corrected. I gotta there. try that. <laughs> I gotta try that. That 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 started right before the pandemic, and I never actually got to try any of the Wendy's breakfast items. There are a lot of people who write into your Instagram page at that Bill Oakley. Um, am I doing this right? Am, am I plugging you significantly <laughs> as we're doing this? Yeah, right? good. Um, yes, please. Uh, with with hacks, ways that you can sort of hijack the menu to your own culinary delight. What what are some of the better hacks, one or two that you've come across that people have sent in that you can get? You know, yeah. I've only done a couple, and I would say here's the thing. Now, I'm starting to feel bad about it because I'm getting shit uh, from people who say who point out that it that it causes a lot of trouble for the employees to do this. And so, mm. like, because I asked, I actually again with Mike Harris, who I did this some kind of. Uh, event with on Twitter Spaces, who was the head chef at McDonald's, confirmed 
that it actually does cause the it does hassle the employees when you have your thing specially done and it causes them a little bit of stress so i'm i'm trying i kind of want to do the menu hacks but i also don't want to do them very much um for that reason um or, or you know maybe i should just caution caution people that like don't do this at a busy time of day perhaps yeah uh anyway the best one i had so far was adding four tomatoes to the big mac um and and it sounds simple, yeah. but first of all, it's it requires a little bit of, of it's a Big Mac never came with tomatoes, right? And it requires a little bit of customization because the employees are not allowed to add more than two, and you have to get somebody who really knows how to operate the register to get your four tomatoes. <laughs> um, but it really does. It actually kind of tastes like an In and Out burger um, oh. when you have that, and which is which is the reason to do the hack. Um, it doesn't taste exactly like an In and Out double double, but it tastes about. 60% like one. And if you live in an area without in and out, um, it's worth a shot. I really liked it. You know, so that's the one, um, I've never successfully been able to get it again with four tomatoes though, because everyone is always like, we can only give you two. So it, it, it requires a little bit of, fin- it requires that you get an employee with a lot of uh, finesse at, at the McDonald's system. One thing, uh, that I've noticed in in watching your Instagram stories and watching your uh, your Instagram videos about the fast food reviews is um, you do these all from your car. Uh, I had a college roommate who would quote his father actually who said, you know, you'd go to McDonald's, French fries are for the car, right? The French fries are not getting home if you're if you're bringing McDonald's home. Do you think fast food tastes better in a car, especially oh my due God. to the drive-through window, right? I actually just wrote an article about car and driver. I wrote an article for car and driver about this very topic. Um, Excellent. Is it, is the, it out yet? Because our, our, be, our crack chat research department didn't get it's there. It's going to be in the May. It's going to be in the May issue of car and driver. They asked me to write an article about eating fast food in your car. And the answer is yes. The car, you've got to, everybody knows this. The fast food, you've got to eat it in the first five minutes. Right. There's right. no, like if you like, this is the, the whole thing. And I know, Everybody has to survive during this pandemic, and this is why people are getting their fast food delivered by Grubhub or DoorDash. But what you're getting is not going to be very good, right? You know, and this actually goes to the whole thing of Donald Trump, by the way. Who Donald Trump? Please do not equate fast food with Donald Trump. This is a guy who never who's ordered his fast food. He never ate fast food the way it was supposed to be eaten. He he got someone else to go get it, and he never clearly never had fast food that was more than thirty minutes. It was always more than thirty <laughs> minutes old, and that's a, that's that's a debasement. Of, of fast food you know so like that like john say, do we bleep his name out no, no. but no but mo- most everybody in our area gave up on him years ago when he was at sabaro's in times square eating pizza with a knife and fork so like <laughs> you lose all of your street cred in this area when you do that, such a thing and, and he only and, and my from what i've read it's not even that he likes it it's just that he's afraid of being poisoned which is why he gets he wants food that's mass produced you know uh, so that's it's another weird thing about it. God, fortunately, he, fortunately, we don't have to deal with him anymore. But that said, fast food has to be eaten as soon as possible, which is why when I review my items, I generally eat, get the item and I eat it immediately, like in the parking lot of the restaurant. And then if I film elsewhere, like in my driveway or wherever else, I have a second set of, of, of the item that is mainly for the photos that is not for the taste. Right. Um, so that like, but in answer to your question, it should be eaten in the car. It's hard to eat French fries in the car because part of the joy of French fries is dipping them in ketchup, and that's difficult to do while driving. Yeah. Um, so, like, but if you eat them in your car or in the parking lot, excellent. Um, there's also these new things you can buy. By the way, if you look on Amazon, 
uh, that are like these dip clip things that clip that clip oh your little like your little sauces, uh, and it kind of it, it kind of clips them into like the um, the vent with yeah. it, and so you you can have your sauces. You can, it makes it easier to dip while driving, which again is very unsafe. You shouldn't do it. Right. I, I, I feel <laughs> like this is like a Law and Order episode <laughs> waiting to happen, where you know, or uh, what was the where the 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 guy would take off his sunglasses? That was CSI. Oh, where yeah. it's just yeah, it's another dip clip accident (laughs) (laughs) and you turn on the air conditioning uh the next day and you get get a nice scent of honey mustard filling your car that's great right right there's a fry thing too there's a thing actually that also holds the fries that adapts your um that adapts your cup holder into a fry holder as well which is a kind of a cool invention but in any case as i learned from writing this article for car and driver you're 39 percent more likely to have an accident or that where someone gets injured if you're eating while driving (laughs) so keep that in mind What's your workout routine like? My, I go to the gym every day for 40 minutes, uh, and I do elliptical uh, every day for four, about 40 minutes, and I, do a, um, and I lift weights you know, maybe once a week. That's great, um, and I, I feel like whether it's uh, eating and whether you know, fast food or, or really you know, any type of indulgent food um, or drinking, you need to incorporate that into your daily life, right? That's the uh, <clears throat> life is about balances. And, uh, and that's certainly got to be a big part of it. Do you, do you feel as though, uh, exercising, working out also kind of helps your, uh, the creative part of your brain? Absolutely. I can't stress that enough. And even it helps, it helps in the middle of the day get, I mean, uh, what uh, to go for a walk, like uh, going for a walk of any length always gives me, gives me, um, if I'm stuck on a joke or a line, the solution is always to take a walk. Hmm. I'm mindful of your time. So as we start to wrap up here, I want to sort of bring us back to where you started us with. Um, steamed hams, it's now art imitating life or life imitating art. Uh, it's a thing now, right? Chefs are trying to straight up steam hamburgers. I've got a couple I got a couple of different things for you about this topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> first of all, for this, you'd be, I, I, well, you're a man of multitudes, steam, Bill. Yeah. Every steamed hams thing in the world gets it directed to me somehow, so I am very aware of it. But first of all, the I should say there's one that one that rules them all, which is here in Portland once a year. Uh, one of our best food food carts here, JoJo PDX, does a steamed ham, Bill Oakley steamed ham burger, and we he's done it every year. And with my endorsement, because it's my recipe, actually, uh, it's a steamed ham sandwich, rather, not a, not a burger, um, which uh, I heartily endorse and, and is the only authorized by Bill Oakley steamed <laughs> ham sandwich there is. Now, it doesn't, it's not a burger. It's, a, it's, a sandwich, it's basically a ham and cheese sandwich with Colvin's mustard and pickles on it, um, but it is delightfully decadent. And, so, like, um, deli so, ham? Well, fancy deli ham, yeah. Okay, sure, you know? <laughs> sure. Gourmet Please. deli right. ham, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. well, there is it. There's a, believe me, there's ha- a lot of hand different types of ham. It's yeah. Very fancy ham, and, and and cheese, and you know, Duke's mayo, all the all the stuff that that I like. Um, so that's that is the only authorized thing, and, and anybody here in Portland should obviously uh, follow but, my. But wait, Joe, are, follow are there, are there grilled marks on it? It is grilled. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's grilled and steamed. Like it's okay. not entirely the ham itself is steamed. Okay. Then it, the sandwich is grilled. It's kind of a grilled cheese type sandwich. Okay. And also, by the way, anybody who wants the recipe can send me a direct message on Instagram, and I will send you the recipe. At that um, Bill Oakley. 
And but however, now steamed the steamed hamburger, I don't recommend it. And I did an episode of this. I did an episode of um, first week. It was first week feast. I believe, yeah, I like that uh, with those guys. And uh, they did, and I was kind of the I was the celebrity guest as they both attempted to do a steamed hamburger, uh, which ultimately was not. I don't think they found it that enjoyable. And there's only one place really that does it, which is this place in Connecticut. I think it's called Ted's, mm-hmm. um, which has been these steamy these hamburgers for a hundred years, and they cook them in this specialized little device machine that steams the meat and the cheese and everyone that i every person who's told me they've tried it said it was lousy <laughs> so, well, it's, so it's kind well, of like white castle in some way where you put the little bowl or like white mana here in in jersey where right. you put the, the the bowl over the burger so that it does absorb some of some more of it's the still on top no, of the not grill. These, not, not it tends they don't it's not a grill. It never reaches a grill. Oh, that's a different. That's, at Ted's, it is entirely done in this little cabinet oh. that is heated. That is heated by steamed water, you know, water vapor, oh, and cool. and that is like I don't find boiling. It's basically the equivalent right. of sort of boiling your right. boiling ground beef, beef. People don't do people don't boil ground beef for a reason, you know. <laughs> I don't know the Irish, but yeah. Oh, well, unless they're going to put it in a beer, <laughs> right? Which has happened, right. also, right? Yeah, yeah. So you don't recommend so you don't recommend it doing doing it that way. No, 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 no. Has Albany given you a key to the city yet? No, they haven't. But I have gotten a lot of uh, lovely messages from people in Albany um, with regards to that. Um, and I, uh, you know, I don't, I've, re- I've never gotten official recognition from any political entity in Albany. No. <laughs> it's an outrage. It's an outrage. It's okay. It'll, it, it'll come. It'll come. What's really going to happen, though, I guarantee is going to happen is it, at some point, now that Disney owns The Simpsons and is absorbing Simpsons stuff into their multiverse, Yeah. when there are Simpsons attractions, I guess when the lease expires with Universal, which currently has all the Simpsons right. stuff, yeah. and, and it all is absorbed into Disney, there's going to be a steamed ham hamburger available at The Simpsons themed restaurant, and I absolutely promise you I will not be invited. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to pay double to get in. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just, that's the way that this kind of thing operates. And and uh, like I would say that there's, there's very little. Of, they will not remember the person who wrote the steamed hams will not be remembered by Disney Corporation <laughs> at that point. One of the things that I love though is that it did take this joke so long to and 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 on I, you wrote so many other things for that show obviously that are part of the lexicon and part of the general consciousness and you know you brought this up again i i need to feel like i need to repeat that because like i wasn't just like the fanboy who's gonna be like, i'm gonna That's talk okay. about okay. chalmers and skinners for the whole for the whole time but like the you've now sort of embraced this in, in, in a way where every year now you're giving out awards for fast foods that you're calling the steamies yeah that's part of, I went, yeah, cross-branding. Got to work on the cross-branding. And, it, and it, 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 that's how, that's part of the thing. That is why it is, I don't generally do a lot of Simpsons stuff on my, in my Instagram reviews, but the steamies, that is, I mean, why not? I want to translate my one claim to fame into a second claim to fame. Is, so is I, that really, I, when you said that it would be on your tombstone, do you, do you, do you really believe that? I kind of do actually. I mean, I don't know. We'll see who, who's in charge of, uh, engraving my tombstone and what they choose to put on it. But maybe I, or maybe I should do that before I, I, I get old and die. Maybe I should get my tombstone made is, in, in advance. Oh, that's grim. Is there a joke though, 
from and and we can talk about all of your different shows. Um, I, I know we're out of time, but like you know, out of all of the shows that you've done, is there a joke that you did for yourself or your friends when you were writing it that you wish had the same level of recognition as Steamed Hams? I don't know if there's a particular line or joke. There's certainly a number of other projects that Josh and I did that I wish had gotten made um, far more than that. You know, we, we've, Josh and I wrote a lot of, you know, for every TV show that you see, there are a hundred that are written and never made. Yeah. Uh, and we've written a number of pilots over the years. Um, some of which I just are some of my favorite things I've ever done um, that didn't get made for whatever reason. So in answer to your question, yes, there's tons of stuff that, but I, I don't, not any particular lines or jokes, so, yeah. And I will say, actually, this one thing I will tease. I did a thing. I can't. I don't even know if this is a secret or not. I did a thing for Audible, which is a ten-part series, um, which is gigantic, which is the biggest thing I've ever written. It was 552 script pages. I wrote every single thing myself. Um, it is. It's going to come out in uh, probably, I guess, uh, this summer. And I can't say anything further about it. But if, like I say, that contains everything I ever wanted to do. It, it can. It's got. It's got so many jokes of a very specific nature um, that are the kind that I like to write. And if you're a fan of the stuff I've written, um, you've got to check this out. That's all I can say at the moment. But <laughs> obviously I will announce it on my Twitter all right. um, and, and probably on my Instagram too, because I'm very proud of it. Your magnum opus. Correct. That's great. Bill, thanks for, thanks for doing the show. Thanks for sharing your fast food expertise, your uh, comedy writing insight. Uh, this is, again, one of those shows that I wish I could have done in person. So if, uh, you know, when everybody gets two shots in the arm and I'm out in Portland, maybe I'll buy a seat for Tom as well and we'll come out and uh, we'll buy you a beer. Oh, that, if, would be, uh, that would be terrific. That a good one. But thanks for doing this. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's great fun. Take care, Bill. That's Bill Oakley. You can find him on Instagram at that Bill Oakley and check out sitegags.com for his various merchandise. Tom, thanks for doing this. This was it was actually a lot of fun, a little bit weird, uh, but overall enjoyable yeah. to just have you here. Oh, well, thank you so much. It was it was great being here. Uh, great to obviously be on my older brother pot, my older brother's podcast, and also uh, really great to talk to Bill. Well, you don't have any younger brothers, so like this that's is, true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my older and shorter brothers podcast. <laughs> very, very true. So <laughs> the thing that I enjoyed about Bill I, here here's a guy who doesn't need to come on this podcast. You know, we recorded this on a Sunday morning, his time in Portland, Oregon. He could have been doing any number of things. Uh, he took the time to do this. You had an experience with him last year just through Inst uh, Instagram where he, he's, he's just a nice guy. I think what we got just now is who he is. It, it So, so genuine. Yeah. Uh, about a year ago, right around this time at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I, I commented on one of his Instagram stories. I I've been following him for a while. And uh, to my surprise, he he responded to me, and it wasn't just a thanks; it was an engaging response. And we had a back and forth over the course of a couple of days. And I realized, yeah, th this guy is someone who uh, is not only, like I said, genuine and and a really nice guy, but he's also interested in in engaging with people on different levels. Yeah. Now, I it, conversations like this, I miss doing them in person, but it was it was so much fun to sort of. You know, understand the world of fast food, and there are so many co correlations uh, between the beer world. So um, that, that that was fun, and also it, it's so weird having you sit across from me while we're doing this, <laughs> because as as we mentioned once in the show, uh, maybe twice, uh, 
there's this like weird sort of sibling connection where we almost stepped on each other a couple of times with the same joke. Yeah, it's like we finish each other's sandwiches. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> we both have young girls who are watching Frozen endlessly. That's kind of fun. <laughs> All right, before we go, a reminder to join the This Week in Rauschbeer Facebook page and to follow along on Twitter and Instagram at TW Rauschbeer. Listen in to Steal This Beer with new episodes every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of every month. Andy Crouch, he hosts the Beer Edge podcast, and you should listen every week to that as well. Visit BeerEdge.com for articles, episodes, to subscribe to the newsletter, and more. And please, do my brother a favor and leave a review of this show wherever you download podcasts. Oh, you're such a nice guy. You can email me at johnhall at beeredge.com with guest suggestions, beer suggestions, fast food hacks, and more. Or you can follow along on Twitter at john underscore hall. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show, you can reach out to Liz Melby. She's on email at liz at beeredge.com. And speaking of that... My thanks to this episode's sponsor, NZ Hops. In a little country far down in the Pacific, you'll find a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. This is NZ Hops. The industry originated in 1843, not long after the early settlers arrived from England. Years of partnership with a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations sees the current-day master growers proudly providing 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd. Nate Schweber does the music for this show, and Jeff Quinn designed the logo. I'm Tom Hall. And I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.